Hey everyone, welcome to Why Evangelism Doesn't Work with Matt Para. And today I'm being joined by Lyle Southwell, Conference Evangelist for North New South Wales and Faith FM Morning Radio Show host. Today's episode is entitled uh, The Power of Prophecy. And uh, we often call on Lyle when it's time to talk about prophecy, history, or anything of that uh, of, of that uh, kind. Yeah, it's kind of two of my favorite big subjects is prophecy and history. And I'm a little bit uh, known for my interest in those two areas. I, I think some of it comes about as a result of when I was 15 years old, my conversion experience yeah. was the result of reading the book, The Great Controversy, which is prophecy and history. Right. And I tend to think that your conversion experience definitely flavors your ministry. Yeah, and, you know, sort of like, okay, this is your foundation point. This is where God called you. Um, and, you know, God called me in that particular area because this was what he wanted me to continue on with. Yeah. And, of course, God called me through something that I was already interested in. You know, always had this interest in history and prophecy. So so true. Yeah. I have a friend that used to say, what you win people with is what you win them to. So you were one with. Yes. That's what you were one to. And uh-huh. that informs how you minister and that's now. Absolutely. That's what I'm passionate about that's now. A, that's a bit of wisdom there. So, guys, we're talking about why evangelism doesn't work in this series, for those of you guys who've joined us before. And we're doing different topics. And today's topic, today's episode is about the power of prophecy. And obviously then, Lyle and I believe that there's evangelistic power in the preaching and proclaiming of the prophetic message of Scripture. So, so Lyle, could you just kind of get the conversation going uh, and share a little bit about your feelings of, about prophecy in an evangelistic context? Like how, why or how does prophecy help us succeed evangelistically? Before I go there, I, I want to put this in the context of why evangelism doesn't work. Sure. Evangelism doesn't work for us as Seventh-day Adventists when we get away from prophecy. That's a bold statement. It is. But I've seen it throughout my entire ministry. And you stop and think about it for yourself. How many different evangelistic uh, outreaches? And I'm talking about public evangelism now. I'm not talking about general soul winning. So I'm talking about your public evangelistic campaign. And typically as Adventists, we do prophecy, but not always. And so I've been a part of a number of significant programs, um, particularly, you know, during my time down in Sydney that were not prophecy-based and they don't work for us as Adventists. Mm. And often I have then people come to me and they say, well, you know, it works for Hillsong and it works for Billy Graham and it works for, you know, you know, and they'll list off all of these great evangelists that are not using prophecy and their evangelism is doing very, very well. And they're like, why do we have to use it? And the answer is very, very simple. God called us as an Adventist church to present a prophetic message. And when we get away from our calling, our unique calling as Seventh-day Adventists, Mm -hmm. how is God going to bless that? Yeah. I've just, I don't know how many times I've seen it. And okay, so so if you have an example of a public evangelistic campaign by a Seventh-day Adventist that's been successful, like significantly successful, and that is not prophecy-based, bring it to me and show it to me. Show me an example. I'll put it out there. So are you saying that Adventists not preaching prophecy is the equivalent of Adventists not fighting in their own armor? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we've got an armor. We have we've got an armor. We have a we calling. Have to use there our is a armor. reason why the Adventist Church exists. You know, we're not just some random other Christian church. Yeah. We've been called into existence for a specific purpose, and that is to preach a prophetic message. And when we get away from that message, we lose our power as a church. We're deviating. We're deviating. Now, I'm not discounting in any way, shape, or form the other unique aspects of the Adventist church. You know, for instance, our health message and so forth, which is the right arm of the gospel. Yeah, because the doesn't, doesn't the, the prophetic message of Scripture does contain within itself a lot of elements of, of Scripture. Oh, absolutely. Right? So, so, so there are tons of basic teachings of the Bible that are encapsulated in the prophetic messages of Daniel and Revelation. The gospel message is encapsulated within the prophetic right. books of Daniel and Revelation. So you're not leaving anything out theologically by no. preaching prophecy. No. It's just that preaching prophecy is like the tip of the evangelistic spear that yes. we're called to preach, and to rouse the, a world. Is the context within which yeah. we are called to present the gospel. Yeah. So and so God has called, yeah, sorry, uh, no, you know, God has called it's many good. people, you know, Martin Luther, all Amen. of the, you know, John Wesley, whoever you want to talk about, called many, many people, and even in, you know, the modern age, uh, called many people to present, present the gospel. But he's called Adventists to present it within the context of prophecy. The tragedy is that we have churches that have, you know, I guess we're kind of like everybody else. We always look over the fence where the grass is always greener on the other side. It's like, well, you know, the nation, no, not the nations around us, the churches around us <laughs> are doing, you know, this and that, and they're having success over there. Uh, so maybe we should go and do that. Yeah. That's a mistake because when we do so, we're getting away from our distinct calling. Yeah. Hey, can I just share something with you that's related, but not completely on top of this, this topic? One of the things that I, I, Think of often when I'm in meetings where we're talking about ministry and we're strategizing and planning is, is the statement of Jesus, and I think it's in John 14. I'm pretty confident it's in John 14. And he's talking to, it's either Thomas or Philip. And no, where, no, no, it's not John 14. No, I'm, I'm mixing up two texts. It's not John 14. So it's after the resurrection of Jesus and either Philip or Thomas, they see the, the wounds in Jesus, yep. and then they they confess. They're like, "Whoa, you know, you are the Lord. This is great." Because they were the doubt. It was Thomas. Thomas and Thomas was doubting. Yep. And then Thomas says, "You know, Jesus says to Thomas, wow, this is amazing. You know, you're blessed because you've seen and believed. But the one who doesn't see and believes, that person's even more blessed." Yes. Okay. So where am I going with this? Well. I noticed that my colleagues are always really impressed by statistics. So always, like pastors are so statistically oriented. Like, uh -huh. you know, statistics uh -huh. show this, and these churches have researched this. And we, we like, we oh, like hey, to, we're evangelists, we, Matt. We like to think, well, like pastors like to think of themselves, like in general, Adventist pastors like to think of themselves as kind of scientific. They act like scientists, you know, the research, the research, the research, the research. And we rub our chins and we get really excited about the research, the research. And every time I'm in a meeting and someone cites research, I think of a Bible verse. I think of a Bible verse. Okay. And I think, well, we didn't need that research because the Bible says what that research concludes. And so that passage of Jesus is perfectly relevant to us where he says, yeah, you're blessed if you see the research and then believe, but you'd just be more blessed if you just believe what I said. 
Uh, that's exactly right. Because you'd save yourself time and you'd exemplify faith, living faith. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes at the end of time, will he find faith? And I find, uh, the, the reason why I'm saying this in, in relationship to our, our discussion here is that, you know, there's things that God says. Believe them. Yes. Just, just believe it. And but, act on it. And act on it. Like, you, you, yeah, you we're so impressed with the research and what this church is doing and what that church is doing. And what why don't we just get impressed with what God says in His Word and apply it? So why isn't our first stop as Adventists, ministers or members, the Word of God? Mm-hmm. Like, what does the prophet say? What, is, what, is, what do the prophets say? The Bible says, believe His prophets and so shall you prosper in Second Chronicles 2020. So Ellen White is a prophet of God. What does the prophet say? Mm-hmm. Surely the Lord does nothing except for he reveals himself and his secrets to the prophets. So what does the Bible say? Okay, how do we apply that? Let's, let's do that. So stats, what other churches are doing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's, where's our faith? What other churches are where's doing our faith? is not going to work for us because it's not our calling. Yeah. We need, and this is one of the things that we so need to get back see, to. By the way, do you see how that goes? Oh, that relates to what you're saying. Absolutely. So if you're I, listening a, to us, yeah. that, I'm not getting off topic here. I'm just making a principal point that um, we shouldn't be so terribly impressed with what everyone else is doing. So rather than looking, rather than looking for for all of the research that is out there amongst all of the Which different churches, okay. like have a nice we time. need to yeah. get back to what is our calling as a church and why do we exist as a movement, as a Seventh Day Adventist movement? Yeah. Why are we here? Yeah. And the reason that we are here is to prevent is to present a prophetic message. It's to present the gospel of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior. You know, that is our calling right there. And that is the gospel, the everlasting gospel, as it is defined in the three angels' messages. What do you say to the pastor? Because I've had pastors say this to me on several occasions. And I, I'm not... I've had members say this. They'll say, okay, well, we preach prophecy and we attract the people out there who are interested in prophecy, but there's a whole world of people to reach and not everyone's interested in prophecy. So, so they'll kinda, they're kinda, their mindset is like this. It's very corporate and very businesslike. Like there's a certain group of people out there that are interested in prophecy. There's another group of people who are interested in family. There's another group of people who are interested in, in you know, there's different demographics and different demographics relate or respond to different approaches evangelistic approaches. So prophecy only reaches a certain demographic. And therefore, if we just keep doing prophetic preaching, um, we're only going to reach a certain demographic. Okay. We have all of those aspects within our church. The prophetic message doesn't ignore any of those aspects, doesn't ignore family ministry, doesn't ignore health ministry, doesn't ignore any of that whatsoever at all. It incorporates all of that. It creates a framework for it. And what you're going to find is that, um, you know, we... Everybody that we reach begins their journey, begins their path in a different place. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember that as Seventh-day Adventists, at some point on that journey, we are to bring them to a prophetic message. Yeah. And that's where we're going to get our success. And we're not going to get our success if we just leave it at the health message, if we just leave it at the family ministry message, if we just leave it at the, you know, whatever other yeah. kind of um, Bro, message that totally. there is out there. You know, I, as you were talking... I reject that the I reject all of the assumptions that that question is even based on, because it's 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 based on this assumption that evangelism is just giving people what they happen to want. But evangelism is not giving people out in the communities what they happen to want. Although we do have to build bridges and meet felt needs and all that kinds of stuff, that's a huge component of evangelism. Absolutely. But 
evangelism really on an essential level is not me giving people what they feel they need. It's me bringing people to the truth. To Jesus Christ. To the truth. Absolutely. It's telling them the truth and helping them uh, to walk in the truth. That's mm -hmm. evangelism. Mm -hmm. So the prophetic message of the book of Revelation tells the truth Very about what's happening truth. at the end of time. And evangelists as a profession bring people to truth and bring them to conviction over the truth and testify alongside of the Spirit to what God has said is and is happening. So this idea that you only win a certain kind of people, no, 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 no. Maybe you only attract a certain kind of people with a certain kind of advertising. Uh, but yes. evangelism on an essential level is, is not like me attracting people. That's a part of it, but it's me convincing people of what's true. And so I have a message from God in the prophecies that's tailor-made for this time in Earth's history, and that's the truth about now, and people need to know the truth so they can be set free, and they can come to an actual knowledge of God. And so that's my job as an evangelist. So I would say that when it comes to advertising, they might have a point. You know, attracting people. Sure. You know, that's cool. That's, that's all about the seed Every evangelist, stuff. every speaker is going right. to reach a different demographic. Totally, but, but, but that doesn't mean that you hide away from the prophetic message or think that it's not our central responsibility or our core responsibility to deliver to the world. There's a couple of things that we have to remember when it comes to evangelism. And the first is that we cannot win everybody that's out there. And sometimes I think we come at evangelism with this attitude of like, okay, there's X amount of people living in this city. How do we win them all? Mm -hmm. And the reality is we can't. The Bible says... Uh, narrow is the way, straight is the gate, and few there are that find it. So there are only a few people out there that we can win. What we end up doing is we end up expending all of our energy and our focus on those that we can't win. Mm -hmm. And here's the unique thing about prophecy and what it does. Prophecy whittles out or, 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 or sifts out uh, all of those people that are not open-minded enough to believe in a supernatural God. So there's a whole bunch of people in the community that are simply not open-minded enough to ever believe in a supernatural God because they don't believe in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about, you know, an Australian context at this particular point right here um, or a Western Christian context, whatever. Um, there's all kinds of people out there and we spend all our energy trying to figure out how do we reach the unreachable? We need to expend our, our energy figuring out how do we reach the reachable. Yep. Okay, so to be prepared to believe in prophecy, mm -hmm. you've got to have a mind that is open enough to accept that the supernatural is actually something that exists. Yep. And so when we present prophecy in public evangelism, for instance, the people who come to that are only going to be people that are open-minded enough to accept that there may be such a thing as the supernatural. Yep. And so what we've done is we've simply filtered our community and we have now focused our attention on winnable people rather than spending all of our time yep. chasing the unwinnable. Yeah, totally. And even when you talk about witnessing, like just, just witnessing in general, the Apostle Paul says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's right. Okay, so we have to concede, just as a Christian community, that what we preach is apparently foolish to those we preach it to. And so how do we bring them to a place where they don't think it's foolish? Our sincerity, our conviction, our genuineness of belief. So it's like we, we don't present to people what they think is relevant. 
we help them to see the relevance of what we preach. That's what it means to be evangelistic. So people are always asking, what does the world find relevant? Well, that's a bad question to ask. It's a very bad question. Because, we should because never ask that. We never ask that. Who cares what they think is relevant? Our responsibility before God and to our fellow man is to present to them what is relevant irrespective of what they perceive to be relevant. You follow? Now, we can build bridges and meet their felt needs. And so, so a perfect example of this is Jesus on the cross. Who thought that he was relevant hanging on the cross? Like, who thought uh, Jesus was relevant? The thief and the centurion, and that was it. That's it. But by and large, and God in heaven, and the angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the apostles didn't think that was really relevant with what he was doing. That had no relationship to what they thought they needed and what the world needed. Um, and so, but, but the crucifixion of the Son of God is the most relevant event in all of human history. That's right. And the, the apostles went forward after they were converted and Jesus was resurrected, preaching that message. And they didn't stop and go, well, you know, the people around us don't think that a, a, a criminal dying on a cross who was a peasant from Galilee is relevant. So we better not preach that to them. <laughs> who no, cares? He takes, he takes, like, he takes the, this, he takes the, this, this, this peasant that was crucified on a cross as a criminal in Galilee at the age of 33 after yeah. three years of ministry and he and he preaches that to the uh, the, the most intellectual minds in the world um, in Athens that's right and he just stands up and says like yep this is what happened and, and, and you know honestly there's a there's a in, in in the apostles preaching there is a depth of conviction that is compelling and it's and they're empowered by God and they know they're up against it. Mm. And they know that they're going to break through because they have the power of God. And so they're not going to, they don't reserve themselves to man's wisdom and man-made efforts. They say, we've got the power of God. This is the truth and this is what we're going to preach. And that's what they do. Do they, do they minister to people's needs? Yes. Do they uh, become oh, all things so. to all men? Yes. yes. But that doesn't change the essential nature of their message. That's right. And I think we've got to learn from that as well as Adventists. We've got a truth that needs to be told. It com communicates who God really is. It kind of takes away the haze from the, from, the, from the picture of God that's been presented over the millennia. It brings uh, everything together. It's just, it's true. It's, it's God's truth for the end of time. And I think we should have that same disposition of the apostles uh, and not be so faithless. And this our... is what you find Paul doing when he goes from one location to another. He uses different techniques. He approaches people in different ways. You mm -hmm. know, when he goes to Athens, he... he he reaches out to them within their culture and within their, you know, intellectual, philosophical minds. Mm -hmm. But he does not shy away in any way from the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And when he reaches the resurrection, what that does is it sifts his audience. Right. Those people that were open-minded enough to believe in the, in the possibility of the supernatural, like, yeah, okay, that's, that's reasonable to believe in a resurrection. And he makes no. them converts. But there's a lot there in Athens, you know, amongst the intellectual elite who just simply... They don't believe in the supernatural, and so they're not going to swallow a resurrection. And they're like, you know, this is the most bizarre thing to start, you know, to found a religion on. And so this is where this comment comes back that this is foolishness. And prophecy is foolishness to so many people that are out there. The resurrection is foolishness, foolishness to so many people out there. Both of them for exactly the same reason. And both of them, when you preach them, are going to reveal to you who is open-minded enough to receive the gospel?
Excellent. So, wow, bro, I want to talk about the power of yes, prophecy yes, yes. in specifics. So, I want to, I want to. Get, I know you've got your Bible I open. I'm, I'm, but I want to get. I want to just share just a thought okay. to get to get to get this theological Bible thing going. We're going to spend yep. a few minutes here. Okay, I want to point everyone's attention to Daniel two. Yes. Okay, and I see a fail safe for Adventists really cool, for the last 150 years. Yeah, I see a really cool object lesson in Daniel two that I don't think many people have ever really considered, okay? And this is a lesson Can't wait. on witnessing and the preaching and proclaiming of prophecy. Okay, check it. All right, so all right. you've got a king and he's having dreams. You can call them nightmares. And he can't sleep and he's, you know, you know how you get when you can't sleep. I have three kids. Sometimes I can't sleep. <laughs> Life gets dark, man. Been there, done you're that. tired, you're grouchy. Things are bad. This guy's, he's a monarch. He's a king of a very powerful empire. He's got, he's got giant responsibilities. And so to add to that stress, he's having these crazy dreams. The ancients took a lot. They, 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 they saw a lot in dreams. So anyways, he's having this dream. Truth is being revealed to him in his night visions, but he can't make sense of it. He can't remember it, but he knows it's, it's heavy. It's a big, big deal. So, uh, you know, the, those of you guys, we mostly, all of us mostly know the story. So he calls his wise men. They can't interpret the dream. He eventually finds himself in a conversation with Daniel, one of his wise men, the Hebrew captive Daniel. And Daniel reveals to him the dream. Mm -hmm. Reveals to him the dream. He's a prophet of God and he reveals to him the dream, which is a prophecy. That's right. So we could use Nebuchadnezzar as a symbol of humanity. Mm -hmm. Troubled. Because inside of themselves, they're getting a picture of what's true of reality and it's troubling. Yes. So there's God is Thinking revealing something. Women. God is revealing something to Nebuchadnezzar, but he can't make sense of it. Mm -hmm. He can't understand it, right? But then a prophet comes to him and tells him the same thing. Tells yes. him the exact same thing that yes. his conscience is telling him, uh -huh. that the dreams are telling him, but he can't yes. make sense of it. And so as soon as the prophet Daniel tells him the prophecy, it's like, that's what I was dreaming. That's what I was dreaming. And now it all makes sense. Now it all makes sense. So there is the, the Bible talks about the internal witness of the Holy Spirit in, in Romans 8. When we preach to people the prophecies of Scripture, we're only telling them what the Holy Spirit has already been telling them in their hearts because they can observe it around them in the world. Okay, so when you've got a world then you see that, what I'm saying? that is in crisis over COVID, that is in crisis over race riots, that is in crisis yes. over floods, that is in crisis over locust plagues, um, big explosions in Beirut, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have a world in crisis over you know, economic collapse. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a world where you have a lot of people right now that are having these ki same kinds of nightmares that yep. they do not understand. They, they, they right. might be having them at night, but you know, they're having these nightmares that they don't understand. And what they then need mm -hmm. is a prophet or the prophecies to be explained to them so that now it's like, okay, yep. now it makes sense. I get it. Exactly. Dude, it's power. It's not, it's not, I'm, I'm yeah. not saying the text in any way teaches that. I'm saying this is just an object lesson. An example of what happened. The Bible says in Romans 8, you know, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God. So we have the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit, which is given to the world to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment that guides into truth. Mm -hmm. And you've got this truth of the prophetic message that gives an understanding and makes people aware of what's really happening around them. And so they can see what's happening around them, but they don't have God's perspective. So they have their perspective, they have the Holy Spirit speaking inside of them, but they can't make sense of it. When you come with the prophetic truth of the books of Daniel and Revelation, 
that are specifically speaking into their world, you're now bringing them to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're like, I get it. I see it. Now they have an intelligent basis for faith, for real yeah. faith. Isn't that powerful? It is very powerful. And it kind of, um, it kind of matches in with the um, illustration that I like to use from Matthew 24, where the Bible talks about the signs of the times. Yep. And then goes on to say, they are like the birth pains, the labor pains. Okay, And this is the great thing about it because let's say that you've got um, a woman who's going through labor and she goes in, she's sitting at home one day, she goes into labor. She doesn't know she's pregnant. She's going to be wondering what on earth is going on and it is going to freak her out of her mind. Right now we have a world that is going through the labor pains. They don't know what's going on and it is freaking them out of their mind. Now then she goes to hospital and the doctor says, well, actually... um, you're pregnant. Now, this happens from time to time. You're pregnant and you're going to give birth sometime in the next few hours. Okay, that's, um, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty nuts. Uh, but at least then she can have an understanding of what's taking place. The doctor can take her through the process and the doctor can say, this is the process. This is how it's going to happen. Of course, she would have much rather preferred to have known this beforehand which is our job as evangelists, so they know beforehand, so that when the labor pains come, she's done the, you know, the prenatal courses and all that kind of stuff, which is our job as evangelists. Um, But it's when people are going through that crisis of the labor pains, and you can reveal to them the prophecies. Okay, it doesn't take the pain away. We're still in the middle of a COVID crisis. We've still got race riots. We've still got, you know, whatever else is happening in our world. Economies crashing left, right and center. But people are so much less anxious because they can now see, okay, this is part of a plan. This is part of a system. It is, it is all working out. It is working its way through according God to what was prophesied. God saw and therefore God can help. Exactly. And, and then also I know the end of the game. And so it's powerful. If God can predict accurately all that's led up to the end, then we can trust him about what he says is going to happen at the end, that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So peace will reign, justice will reign, righteousness will reign at the end, at the, at the end of it all. And so that actually helps too, right? Like the knowledge that a woman's going to bring forth a baby. When Sharice was delivering Max, the nurse, the midwife, she kept saying, we're having a baby, we're having a baby. And I knew this is an experienced midwife who understands what a woman is going through at this time. And if she can focus on what this pain is going to eventually bring about, then she'll be much better equipped to endure the pain. It's not so bad. The pain doesn't go away. It doesn't go away, but it's There's bearable. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's a pretty it's, good light. It's bearable because you can. the child is coming. Yes. There's going to be a beautiful human being born that you get to love for the rest of your life. And there's a kingdom coming that we get to live in for the rest of eternity. And knowing that and understanding that allows you to deal with the difficulty a lot better. So, so as, as people who present prophecy, yep. um, as a church who is called to present prophecy, we are called to do the work of the midwife. Totally. The Bible says, these are the events that are going to take place. These are the birth pains. Our job is to be the midwife to guide the world through that painful process. The pain is not going to disappear. The pain is still going to be there. Uh, however, the um, while the pain is still going to be there, we can understand why it's there and we can understand that well, guess what? There's going to be this amazing thing at the end of it. It's called the return of Jesus Christ. Yes. So, uh, okay, Revelation 14. Yes. I, I've always seen 
Revelation 14 as a response to Revelation 13. So Revelation yes, 13, very definitely. you have this picture of what's happening, not just at the end of the world, but throughout the course of Christian history down to the end of the world. And then Earth's you know, final events are, are highlighted there in Revelation 13. It's not really a pretty picture uh, from God's standpoint and from the standpoint of God's people. And so darkness is holding universal sway over the earth. And then Revelation 14 begins, and there's an exceptional group that have the Father's name in their forehead, and they stand with Jesus on Mount Zion. And so you see a direct contrast. So Revelation Mm -hmm. 13 ends, the whole world is wandering after satanic agencies, and the image of the beast, and all this crazy stuff is happening. And the world is being forced to receive a mark of allegiance to the beast uh, and... uh, forced to worship the image of the beast and all this kinds of stuff. Um, and then Revelation 14, you've got these people who, contrary to the people receiving the mark of the beast, they have God's name in their foreheads. And then there's three angels' messages. Mm. And it says, that just to begin the first angel's message, it says, And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell upon the earth, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. So I, I've so this, this, this message that's coming from God is tailor-made for the people who live in the events described in Revelation yes, 13. That's right. Okay? So, so this message is God's response to what's happening in Revelation 13. And one thing that's happening in Revelation 13 is God's being misrepresented mm-hmm. through this beast power, uh, through these beast powers, I should say, mm-hmm. and this image of the beast situation that's erected. And so, in short, for those of you guys who don't understand Revelation 13, it's basically talking about fallen Christianity throughout the ages and how it's persecuted and oppressed and how it's misrepresented God and then how, how it's going to happen again at the end of time. That's, right. that's just a short summary of Revelation 13. And so, Revelation 14 is a message from God to counteract that. And it's to be delivered to the people of the earth so that uh, as, a, as a reaction against it's a response to what's happening, the misrepresenting of God. So it's going to teach us who God really is. And it's going to expose this false Christianity. That's basically what's happening there. So it says at the beginning of these messages, um, the angel flying in the midst of heaven has the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. And then he says, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all that stuff. And then that's the first angel's message. Then the second angel's message, Babylon has fallen. Then the third angel's message, don't receive the mark of the beast or worship the beast. So I've always asked the question, okay, so what is the everlasting gospel? Because it says that this angel has the everlasting gospel to preach. That's right. Right? So has the everlasting gospel to preach. And then he preaches. That's right. And what he preaches is three angels' messages. Now, I've heard some pastors, they've said, see, you've got to preach the gospel before you preach the three angels' messages. And when I heard them say that when I was a younger guy, I was like, yeah, that's right, we have to. Uh, Let's preach uh, the gospel first and then preach the three angels' messages. But then as I grew in my understanding of Scripture and in my journey with God, and I just started reading texts for myself. (laughs) Yes. You know, wait a second, that's not what that text is alluding to at all. It's not saying you preach the gospel, then you preach the three angels' messages. It's, It's actually saying that rightly understood the three angels' messages is the everlasting gospel. That's right. Articulated specifically for the people who are living at the end of time. Yeah, contextualized for the return of Christ. Because yeah, it says that the angel has the everlasting gospel to preach, 
Okay, so then what does he preach? Saying, saying with a loud voice. With a loud voice. Okay, so here comes the everlasting gospel. Yes. So, so it's funny because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. So this angel has the everlasting gospel and preaches. And preaches. That's right. Three angels' messages. Why is there power in prophecy? Because it's the articulation of the gospel for those who live at the end of time. Can you preach prophecy without Jesus as center? Of course. But that's an abusive prophecy. That's an abusive prophecy. Prophecy correctly. Don't understood. blame prophecy when evangelists don't mess preach. it up. That's right. It's not the problem with prophecy. Yeah, that's it. So to me, that's there's power in prophecy, number one, because it comes from God and it's and what God says is important. But it's an articulation of the everlasting gospel for those who live at the end of time. Yeah. So, so by the way, and the way that that plays out to me, I know uh, jump in anytime you want here, Lyle, but... I'm ready to go. So yeah, yeah. yeah, you're, you're, you're chomping. I don't know if you're listening or waiting, but, uh, <laughs> but there's, there's, there's a lot of power in what I'm saying. But further to this, the, the, something that people don't oftentimes think is that, okay, so you put yourself in that Revelation 13 narrative. Okay, you're a human being living in that context. God has been misrepresented and Christianity has been oppressive and terrible. More pagan than Christian for thousands of years, for over a thousand years. Okay? That's right. There's all kinds of voices in the world. Uh, there are secular voices. There are rebellious voices. There are, you know, just political voices. A lot of things are going on in the world. The world is chaotic and crazy. Your soul looks for peace and satisfaction. Jesus is, is attractive to you. You have eternity in your hearts, right? And so you're drawn to eternity. You're drawn to the gospel. You're drawn to Jesus. But the only understanding of Christ you've ever had comes from this amalgamated beast of Revelation 13, which is grotesque and barbaric and pagan. So you're, you're just in the midst of controversy. Your soul is not at peace. And this message comes from God that says, hey, uh, all that stuff down there that has been representing me, those, those teachings, those doctrines, uh, those councils of the church, you know, all of that persecution, uh, that's not me. That's Babylon. That's Antichrist. Dude, would that be good news or would that be good news? So You follow what I'm saying? If you're the victim of the abuse of fallen Christianity, how good news is it? How much good news is it for you to realize that's Antichrist? I'm just, That's not share, Christian. I'm just going to share this from my own experience, but you know, we often in today's politically correct society have a nervous flinch about preaching the three angels' messages because they contain uh, prophecies about the Roman Catholic Church. And so we like to back away from that and we like to be sensitive to our Roman Catholic friends. And I agree, we need to be sensitive to our Roman Catholic friends. At the same time, we can't back away from that message because when I've been preaching you know, that message, the message of the Antichrist, I've had so many Roman Catholics that have come to me and had a massive burden that has just been rolled off their shoulders mm -hmm. because they've been living under this oppression for their entire lives under a false system of religion and a false understanding of who God is. And they're like, now we can love God for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. In my experience, you know, Roman Catholics are the, are the easiest people to reach out to amongst religious people in our communities mm -hmm. because 
they have such an incredibly false understanding of who God is and when they really see God because they you know they're devout they're committed um, and they have reverence for God and they have reverence for the Bible and when they see a God that they can actually love it is so mm-hmm. life transforming oh man you know if I was gonna if I was gonna pick a congregation or a people group to, to preach to I'd be like give me Roman Catholics any day yeah well and further to this the revelation message like revelation 14's message and the three angels message is addressing the effect of fallen Christianity on the world. We live in a Christianized society. That is to say, our values, our Christian values, irrespective of whether or not we believe in Christ or, or the, the Bible or whatever. They saturate the, our society. The, the, that's right. The moral value system of the Western world stems from its Christian heritage. That's the right. whole idea of sympathizing with the weak, of caring for the poor and the helpless and the defenseless. This is all this all stems from Christian thought. It doesn't come from anywhere else in the world. Uh, no other philosophical system of belief gave that to the world. It's Christian. Mm. And and so but okay, with that, these prophecies of the three angels expose the pagan elements in all of western civilization. So we've got kind of a conundrum in the west, right? Like we all know that the Christian values of the West are good and beautiful and awesome, but the behavior of the West has always been cruel and terrible. So it's kind of a conundrum. It's a, it's a contradiction. The West is a contradictory uh, empire, if you will. You know, you've got these beautiful values that have never been lived up to. You've got the U.S. Constitution, which you read it, you want to cry. It's just such beautiful, uh, beautifully written uh, ideas that are just deep and profound and awesome. But yet the country itself, you know, at its inception was enslaving two million people from another country and not enslaving them in some kind of an indentured servitude system, but like forced, brutal, torturous labor as if they were animals and less than human. Okay, so you've got a Christian, a nation with Christian ideals and a Christian constitution that values all men as created equal under God, who's enslaving two million people. <laughs> it's the conundrum of the West. So follow me here. Yes. So this was, the, this was the sin of the Christian church and Catholicism throughout all of its history. It's that you have within your institutional, you have within your institution these beautiful concepts, these beautiful beliefs, these beautiful teachings, but yet you're acting just like every other empire has acted throughout the course of human history. So just recently I put a post on Facebook it's, and I said, look, the greatest sin of the West is not slavery or injustice or oppression. It's that we did these things just like every other empire did them in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is where the... Because every empire is just as guilty as any other that's empire. That's right. We're just guilty of The West is no worse than Persia, Greece, Rome. But the, those nations did what they did under the banner of their pagan deities who encouraged that kind of behavior. So they were less guilty than the West. But we did it under the name of Jesus. The Catholic Church over the medieval period tortures and burns millions of people. Why? Because Jesus wants them to. You know, like, you know, so this is the offense of the West to God. So yeah. the three angels' message is not targeted against Catholicism per se. It's against uh, the perversion and prostitution of the truth of God's word. Mm-hmm. And it's the misrepresentation of Jesus. And so fear God, don't fear the beast. Give glory to God, the true God, the one of Scripture, not the one of antiquity, you know, the misrepresented God of the, of the Middle Ages. And then it's like, worship him who made 
the one who made, the one who made, man, he made a perfect world, a good world, a world of love and happiness and peace. But what, is, what, is, what does the God of the Middle Ages do? Tortures and burns people. So go to those great cathedrals in Europe and what's in the basement? Torture instruments. That's right. So, so all of this has walls. had a profound effect on the West, you know, in the way we've treated indigenous peoples. And you know, we're, the West has been a paganized form of Christianity, all of the West. And so Adventism has been raised up to say, okay, let's sweep away all that pagan stuff, those pagan doctrines, those pagan teachings that have messed us up and have messed up our view of God and have caused us to be cruel and brutal just like the pagans because the view of God we have is virtually pagan. It's just we've put the Jesus brand on him and therefore we've acted cruelly to the peoples that we've we've um, interacted with as a civilization. And I think one thing that people don't, and this is always gets me when people downplay the importance of doctrine. They'll say, ah, Jesus is important, but not doctrine. I think to myself, that's that's one of the most non, uh, I don't want to say nonsensical because the people who say it aren't always nonsensical, but to me that's one of the most untrue things you could, uh, I don't know, it's just the craziest thing you could say to me. Because, because uh, how you view doctrine affects how you view God and how you view God affects how you treat other people. So if your God is cruel and vicious, then you're perfectly justified being cruel and vicious. So, And that's the natural human heart. Yeah. So that's when, what's going to happen. When the South African Dutch showed up in South Africa, they believed in manifest destiny. So they were, they were destined to own this land. They saw themselves as Israelites and this was the promised land and God was giving it to them. And they were strong Calvinists. They were high Calvinists. And so theologically, their doctrine, their teaching was that they were the elect and God had determined others to be lost. So you show up, you see uncivilized indigenous non peoples, non-believing, dark-skinned indigenous people. Who did God destined to be lost and who did God destined to be saved? They destined us to be saved, them to be lost. If you think that, doc, if you think that doctrine is true, you, you're going to treat those, those indigenous people well? So we, in the West, we're always just like, we treated the indigenous so bad, so terrible. Yeah, it's true. Why? Because the theological understanding of the Christians who came here was Babylonian and pagan. They believed in a deterministic God. And so doctrine is terribly important because if they wouldn't have held that false doctrine, they wouldn't have been justified in their own minds at treating indigenous people so terribly. You see what I'm saying? And this is the value of the three angels' messages because we have that message there, Babylon is fallen. That's fallen. Which is all about exposing the false doctrines yes. that misrepresent the character of God. And the false doctrines led Christians to behave in a way that wasn't like Christ. Mm. So that it, doctrine is essential. It's so important. If you, you know, someone, I have a friend who did a sermon on the Black Plague and he, he talked about the concept of dualism. So the idea that uh, there's a, there's a, body and then a conscious soul that exists and can exist outside of the body. And he talked about how that was the predominant teaching in Christendom during the Black Plague. And he talked about how people viewed the body negatively and viewed taking care of the body negatively because they, along with dualism, came the idea that the body was sinful and fallen, but the soul was pure and holy. And so all you had to do as a person was care for the soul and not worry about the body so much. And he talked about how that affected their the way they they, didn't, they bathed and, and well, didn't they bathe. just became dirty people. That's right. So your theological understanding of the soul and the body affects your sanitation standards. 
And so that false doctrine led society to be very unsanitary, which was then a breeding ground for the Black Plague, which took hundreds of thousands of people's lives. There was even a philosophy there um, where the dirtier a person was, the more fleas they carried, Mm. um, the less often they bathed, the more righteous they were because they were dying to the flesh. Oh, no. no! I'm serious because they were dying to the flesh. It's like, okay, yeah. I'm not looking after my body. Yeah. And the less I look after my body, then uh, the more holy I actually am because I'm focusing on the soul, not on the body. Yeah. And I can spurn the body. The body is nothing. I don't need to worry about the body. Yeah. I, I am not caring about the body because I'm a holy person because I'm focusing on the soul. Yeah. And there's even records of people, you know, after they died and they're preparing for burial. And there's records of where they're writing up just how dirty they are because this is part of their testimony as to how holy this person was. It's pretty messed up stuff. You know, this is why the Bible says, Babylon is fallen, come out of her, my people. And this is what's yes. great about the three of his messages. So Lyle, close up for us, because we've got to go. We're, oh, we're okay. done with time. All right, we're done. Uh, with I, time. I was going to go, I was going to go down another rabbit I, hole. I talked for another hour with you, but <laughs> for the sake of our listeners, they love listening to us. I know, I get emails all the time. But hey, just to let you guys know, uh, Lyle's going to wrap us up with a few thoughts. Okay, but, so, um, but before you do, anytime, Shoot us, we, we send these emails out, these podcasts out. Let us know what you think, what you've loved, what you hated. And uh, we, love, we want to interact with you guys and uh, know that you're hearing it and, uh, and being blessed or not. Absolutely. And tune into uh, The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. Yeah, totally. But yeah. what were you going to say? Last, last thoughts uh, on the power you, of prophecy. If you're in an area where you don't get Faith FM, of course, uh, get the Faith FM Australia app on your phone. Run yeah. through your sound system in your car and you're good to go. Sweet. Okay, so let's summarize, uh, I guess... I started off by focusing in on our unique calling as Seventh-day Adventists. And when we, when we lose our unique identity and we start to follow after the evangelistic techniques of the rest of the world, we lose our effectiveness. To be effective in public evangelism and in soul winning, we need to get back to the fact that God has called us with a prophetic message to present a prophetic message called us out of the pages of prophecy, we're right there, and that that's our calling and we need to focus on what our actually calling what our calling actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we moved on to talk about the three angels' messages as the gospel. This is the gospel, this is the good news that sets people free, and this is the gospel that has God has called us to present in the time in which we're living right now. Um, so that's 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 it right there, and the the three angels' messages summarizes everything that we believe mm-hmm. as Seventh Day Adventists, and it is good news for our world right now because it paints a true and correct picture of who God is. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you.